Wasn't that absolutely beautiful? Thank you, Nell. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Romans 6. And if you have a prayer slip, prayer slip or visitor slip, if you pass that to the center aisle, we'll collect those and pray for you this coming week. I heard a story from the life of R.C. Sproul, who was a great theologian leader um, who passed away a few years ago. And um, he told his preachers and his preaching class that he was going to visit them in their church when they were preaching, which I'm sure sent a panic through the ranks. And he said, I'm going to sit on the front pew and I'm going to hold up a sign that says, so what? I thought about that this morning as I was sitting here on the platform. So what? I think it's a big answer. When we come to the book of Romans, we're talking about our relationship with God. You don't want to get that wrong. You don't want to uh, shoot from the hip. You don't want to rely on conventional wisdom because there's a way that seems right for a man, but, then there, but the end thereof is destruction. When we come to the Bible, it speaks to every need in our life. The Bible is a unified book that presents the testimony of God's good news in Jesus Christ. And on the pages of Scripture, we begin to discover the mighty gulf that God did span to, to come to, to redeem us. We gather this morning because we love the Lord who has redeemed our life from destruction and crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercy. Rightly understood, the gathering of the church is is not to earn merit badges with God, but to gather to worship and to love the one who has drawn us to himself through Jesus Christ. God's redeeming work through Christ is seen repeatedly on the pages of scripture. Throughout the Psalms, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise, that your promise gives me life. David wrote in a time of worship in Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So as we come to the book of Romans, it really fills in essential details, specifics for, of God's salvation. How am I made right with God? How do I come to know his forgiveness? How do I come to worship him in spirit and in truth? Scripture presents God's salvation from multiple perspectives. Who, who doesn't enjoy hearing this wonderful sum of the gospel? In John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a wonderful sum of the gospel. We love to hear it spoken. We love to remind ourselves of what God has done. But that's not the only verse God has given to us to understand his salvation. In fact, I'm, I'm amazed at how uh, an order of salvation seems to, to be revealed as we look at Scripture. And what is often called the order of salvation, we read in God's Word that, that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. There's election. In fact, in the book of Romans, we will get to that in chapter 8 and 9. There's the gospel call. When Jesus began his ministry, he said, 
uh, repent and believe the gospel. And there was a time where this gospel call entered your life and you were confronted with the claims of Jesus Christ. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, you were regenerated, you were born again by the Spirit. And you repented of your sins and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in conversion. See, the Bible does call us to take action. We must repent and we must believe. And when we turn from our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His righteousness is credited to us by God's grace. So that when God looks at us as believers in His Son, He does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness and forgiveness of Jesus Christ Himself over us. That's why we can say with great confidence, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And not only is it a legal declaration that we're justified by faith, it's a family picture. We're called sons, we're called children of God. We've been adopted into God's forever family. And there's one other aspect that leads us to Romans 6. And that is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're in the process of working out our salvation, not working for, but working out our salvation, which is called sanctification which is growth in Christ. Sanctification is a a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Jesus Christ. And maybe you're saying, wow, isn't that kind of a slow process? (laughs) Painfully slow at times, isn't it? And it's, you know, three steps forward, two steps back on on this journey to heaven. And it's a persevering walk. Salvation is perseverance by His grace, which ultimately leads to glory, glorification. You know, it's good to remind ourselves of that. We have a destiny in Christ. If you're in Jesus Christ, your destiny is heaven. And as we look at this full picture of salvation, it brings us back to Romans 6, which is a chapter that really addresses our sanctification, living out the Christian life. Romans 6 helps us to see the life we have in Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power given to every believer to overcome sin in a lifelong process called sanctification. Sin has a pull, a power. And Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, his power lives within us that we might put sin off and live for him. I think it's best expressed in Philippians 2 where Paul said that you have always obeyed so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation of fear and trembling. So there's a sense in the Christian life we're working out what obedience looks like which demands our best attention and our best efforts. So in Romans 6, some commentators believe that verse 2 holds the key to understanding. In verse 2, Paul's answering this charge, this question, well, if you believe in salvation by grace and you you think you're made right with God uh, by grace alone and you can't bring anything to the table for your salvation, why not just sin to the max? in order that grace might be on display. And Paul says to that in verse two, 
By no means, God forbid, may it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That is the question, isn't it? When you come to know Jesus Christ, you have died to sin in order that you might live for Christ. And so the reason that Christian, to understand salvation and to be in Christ, the reason is that to be a Christian means that we died to sin. The rest of the chapter seems to be the emphasis uh, that seems to emphasize this point. So Paul repeats the idea of our having died to sin in every verse leading up to verse eight. Verse three, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him in baptism into death, verse four. Verse five, we've been united with him in a death like his. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And then verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So how's your sanctification going? How's it going? I pray this morning would encourage you that his grace is great and his call is worth our best effort of heart and body. So... Can, let me hang my thoughts several, on several points here this morning. Continuing in sin is not an option. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, continuing in sin is not an option. Because we've died to sin. The key to Romans 6, how can we who died to sin still live in it? What's the answer to that? We, sh- we shouldn't. We should be putting it off and putting on obedience to Christ. Now, I thought it might be helpful to put in your insert just a a little comparison here to grow maybe a little deeper in our understanding of of justification, which you're justified by faith. Turn the page back to chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified by faith. Sanctification is living out the truth of our justification. So when we're justified, that's a legal standing, a legal declaration. We're declared righteous before the throne of God by Christ, by faith in him. Sanctification, that's an internal condition. My yielding to him, my surrendering to him, my my trust in him as I live out my faith. Justification, that's once for all. That's one time for all. We're regenerated, we're born again, one time. We're justified by faith once. Sanctification, that's continuous through our life. We're in the ongoing process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Our our justification, that's entirely a work of God. God makes that declaration through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in our sanctification, we cooperate with God. Maybe you haven't thought about that. That that would be a great thought at the beginning of the day. Lord, I want to fully cooperate with what you're wanting to do in my life today. I'm fully yielded to you. We cooperate with him. I I think that's what it meant in Philippians 2, working out our salvation. But he, he went on to say in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work out for his good pleasure. 
I'm working out my salvation in fear and trembling. God is working in me to make me more like Jesus Christ. Justification, that's perfect in this life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are justified. No improvement on it. Sanctification, will that ever be, will that ever be uh, uh, fulfilled in this life? No, no, it won't. Not until we see him. Justification, that's the same in all believers. The dying thief who was on the cross when he said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That justification by faith given to that thief is the same as the justification given by any sinner who turns and trusts in Jesus Christ alone. And then sanctification is greater in some than in others. But this is a part of our salvation. So for you and I to think about our walk with Christ, am I being conformed into his image? Am I being submitted to this process? Am I giving my heart to the Lord every day and walking by faith in him? Notice with me secondly, understanding the meaning of your baptism. I think it's amazing as you follow verse two into verse three that there's something in Paul's mind talking about the grace of God that triggers baptism. And there are two ordinances that Christ gave to the church, the Lord's Supper, and before that is baptism. This is at the beginning of the Christian life. And I thought it would be important to review that before we look at newness of life and what that means for the believer. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So there's something here that triggers in Paul's mind baptism. And baptism and the Lord's Supper are given to us to bring to our mind what really happened when we were saved. So Paul, in talking about the grace of God, goes back to the beginning of the Christian life, which is your baptism. So something by implication here is there would have been no such thing as a, as a Christian who hadn't been baptized which is exactly what Jesus Christ commanded for everyone who believes. And what we see in the New Testament is a believer's baptism. Those in the book of Acts, they believed and they were baptized. The word in the New Testament, baptizo, means to immerse, not to sprinkle. We don't read of a single infant that was baptized in the New Testament, not one. They're all believers. And so as we look at Paul's phraseology here, he says, you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So some might conclude there, baptism is what saves you. Baptism is what brings you into Christ. And that's not what he means. That's not what it's, we would have to ignore all of Romans 1 through 5 if that were the case. In fact, I just pointed you to Romans 5, 1, that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not baptism. We don't read of baptism before this or after this in the book of Romans, after verse 4. So it's not the means by which we receive grace, it's the sign that we have received grace, that we are walking with Christ. Think with me, let me say that one more time. Paul mentions baptism here, I believe, strictly as a reference to the beginning of your Christian life. 
and what really happened when you were saved. And so as we look at the New Testament, it is a baptism by immersion. So I would ask you, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized in obedience to him? I mentioned to you earlier, four adults came up to me last week. I I need to be baptized. We want to help you out with that. We'd love to talk with you about that. Again, we would fill the baptistry every week to be obedient to what Christ has commanded. And throughout the New Testament, it was a a sign of obedience. It was a, a picture of being buried with Christ and raised with him to walk in newness of life. A believer's baptism. So I think of Acts 16 when Paul and Silas were talking to the Philippian jailers, uh, jailer and uh, the trauma, the earthquake, and he was getting ready to take his own life. And Paul says, wait. And he, he, they explained the gospel to him. And, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And as you follow that story along, the jailer was baptized and his whole household Follow the Lord and back. They became believers in that moment. So if you have not been baptized, we would give you the opportunity to respond even in this service to commit to do that very soon and we'll help you to get it done. It's a public act of, of obedience which gives a witness. And what is that witness? That we've been buried with Christ and raised with him to walk in this newness of life. It's a picture which portrays our death and the death of Christ. A picture which portrays our rising from the dead and the power that raised us from the dead is the power that we have within us, believer, to overcome sin in our life. Oh, I pray that would energize you. I pray that would encourage you. Maybe you've come in today and you're, you're defeated and you're discouraged and you're wondering, how can I overcome these things which seem to plague and dog my steps? I would point you to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the truth of this text that we've been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too may walk in newness of life. And to begin again with the Lord right now, this morning, in this worship time, confessing your sins to him and and to say, Lord, I want to begin again with you today. And that is the prayer of the believer every single day. That we've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not I, but Christ lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. I want you to look at an important cross-reference here. And it's worth the journey to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. As we try to make sense of this passage, as Paul points to the front end of our Christian life, what happened when we got saved, and what our baptism pictures. It says here in verse... 6, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, how do we receive him? By faith. The way to enter into God's salvation is by faith. We receive him. In John's gospel, uh, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. You believe on him today? Where is he? Where is Jesus today? Well, he said, wherever two or three are gathered, I'm there with them. 
that he would always be among his people, the church, when we gather together. That's why I think the most significant gathering in any given city is when the believers in Christ Jesus gather together to worship and seek the Lord together. The power of this gathering. Now, you may be saying, wow, it's not getting any news coverage. It must, you know, it must not be that significant. It is mighty in heaven. There are things going on that we cannot see with our eyes. Christ is walking among his lampstand. To refer to the book of Revelation, he's walking among his lampstand. And he has eyes like flames of fire, to quote John in Revelation 1. Eyes like flames of fire. He's walking up these pews. He's looking into your life and my life. He's the Lord of the church. So as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. What does that mean? Follow him. Obey him. Go to his word and say, Lord, I'm going to align my thinking. I'm going to align my commitments. I'm going to align my life with you. I'm going to walk in you. That's a sign of true salvation. You don't find anyone in the gospels who encountered Jesus in a saving way ultimately saying to him, you know, I'm going to go another way. The rich young ruler walked away, but he wasn't a true believer. To be a true believer means you follow him on his terms, not not ours. Continuing on, rooted and built up in him, that's sanctification. And established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving, Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's what happened when you were saved. That's what's to be worked out in your life. Baptism does not save you. It is the symbol that shows forth the precious reality of God's saving grace in your life. I want to look, thirdly, at that phrase in verse 4, and we'll finish with this. We too might walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. To be in Christ, which was Paul's favorite designation for the believer, in Christ. He used it over 70 times in his letters. To know Jesus Christ in a saving relationship means that you are in him. You are in him. Our union in Christ is something Paul emphasizes. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We are like Christ. We are with Christ. Simply stated, union with him to be in him means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And he is our hope of glory. If you are saved, you are in Christ. There is no greater association you and I could ever know than to be in him. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one with the last word. You know, what's so wonderful in opening the, the, the last book of the Bible is to see the believer in Christ. We win. In him. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And he reigns even today. 
This is not a sterile relationship. It is not merely a legal declaration, as vital as that is. If you're guilty, it's wonderful to hear you're righteous by the work of another. We will see in Romans that we are not only legally declared, we have seen that we are legally declared righteous, but we are adopted into his forever family. So what does this mean to walk in newness of life? I picked a handful of things that I'd like to bring to your attention. What does it mean to be Uh, to walk in newness of life, I I think first and foremost, it means you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's that's hard to connect with in our minds because we look in the mirror and it's the same old us. (laughs) Externally, Paul's talking about internal realities here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, old things have passed away. I think we all deal with, from time to time, pain from the past, foolish decisions, sinful behavior, shameful embarrassment. This is a great word to us, that to be in Christ, old things have passed away, new things have come. And maybe you're dealing with something insurmountable in your mind and you're thinking, you're wondering, how, how am I gonna get past that? How am I gonna get past this? How is this ever gonna be worked out in our marriage? How's this ever gonna have a resolve in my workplace? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things are possible by His grace. We're a new creation. Secondly, we're under a new covenant. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, other places, the prophets spoke about a new covenant. And when we read of this new covenant, it is a a covenant that God's law is not written on tablets of stone, but on our hearts, on a heart of flesh. It speaks of the spirit dwelling within us. We're under a new covenant which has been established by the blood of Jesus Christ. As he has written his commands on our heart, that's what gives us a desire to obey him, to follow him, to live for him. Walking in newness of life means something else, cultivating new thoughts. Cultivating new thoughts. In Ephesians 4, 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. To know Jesus Christ means that you've got a calling on your life that requires that there's changes taking place through the renewing of your mind where we hear the word of God and we put off, as Paul describes, futility of of their minds, whose understanding is darkened and who's been alienated from the life of God. We're to put these things off and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to put on the new self, new thoughts. How does that take place? Well, changes begin to happen in the believer's life. Things we used to watch 
things we used to listen to, things we used to read, we've put off that we might put on righteousness and new patterns of obedience in our life that we might enjoy the joy of our salvation, cultivating new thoughts. What do you feed on on a weekly basis? What do you watch? What do you read? What do you look at online? To be a new creature in Christ means I have new desires and I need to develop new patterns in order to think God's thoughts after him. Something else as I think about walking in newness of life, we're headed in a new direction, a new direction. In Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were in darkness. That's what it means to be lost. You're you're in darkness. You may uh, think that you're on top of the world, but if you're without Christ, you're without hope, and you're without God in this world. And to walk in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You're headed in a new direction. I think of 1 John 2, 6, where John said, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. To follow him. To obey him. To realize you're headed in a new direction. I think of the wise men in Matthew 2. They came to Jesus through Herod, which brought an unbelievable scourge of the Hebrew baby boys in Bethlehem as he ordered their murder. But the wise men came into Bethlehem and it caused a stir and a buzz. And um, they received counsel and which led them to Bethlehem. And after seeing the Christ child, it says that they went and returned home another way. Another way. When you come to know Christ, you, you're headed in a new direction, not living in the same patterns of sin that you've lived in all your life. You know, is there anyone in this hearing this morning where you're thinking, you know, I love my life. I, I, love, my, I love what I do. And you, you know deep down it's not right. That really, that really should cause you to think about, am I rightly related to Christ? that I have no love for him, no desire to seek him, no desire to, uh, to, um, to change my habits when at the heart of salvation is that I'm heading in a new direction. It really is a call to walk as he walked. So, something else I would mention. Uh, walking in newness of life means I'm developing new goals and ambitions. New goals and ambitions. One of the real pulls of living in this world is the danger of loving money. We read about that often um, in the Bible, the warning about loving money. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It brings about many heartaches and sorrows. Um, I remember hearing the testimony of one man whose father, uh, he said, my father really loved his money and he ran a little... um, chicken stand, they would make hamburgers and french fries, fried chicken, and one day um, the little um, shack started on fire, and he watched his father go into this inferno and grab his money box and carry it out, and the metal was so hot it melted into his skin. 
And his recollection was, I remembered, I remember that event and how much money meant to him. It means a lot to a lot of people. Does it mean a lot to you more than it should? What's your goal in life? That's a fair question, isn't it? What's your goal in life? We have goals, most do. But what's the, what's the ultimate for you? I pray that it would be for us. Let it be said of us that the Lord was our passion. He's the one we live for. Here's another one. If I'm gonna walk in newness of life, which is the picture of my baptism, which is the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna pursue new friends. And this is a rubbing point. I'm gonna suggest that the reason you have friends that you shouldn't have is because you idolize them. And they don't bring you closer to the Lord, they bring you down. And I would point you to 1 Corinthians 15, which says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. If a sinner entices you, Proverbs says, don't go with him. Are you developing new friends that are gonna help you on in your relationship with the Lord? I pray so. That's one of the important aspects of church life together. And then finally, I would have you turn to Philippians 3, and we'll close here. Philippians 3, we, we're bound for a new destination. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. That's our destiny in Christ. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So a proper understanding of the Christian life is my citizenship is in heaven. I'm grateful for the citizen, my citizenship as an American citizen, but that, that pales in, con, in comparison. We're, we're to be kingdom-minded. My citizenship is in heaven. He's the one I owe my allegiance to ultimately. And we're awaiting his return. He's coming back. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We have a resurrection hope, friends, that we will have a resurrected body by which to live all of eternity with him by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're bound for an eternal and new destiny. And how do I know that I'm bound for an eternal and new destiny? It begins with him, I am Jesus Christ. Is he my Lord? Is he my Savior? Is he the one I'm trusting in? The Bible presents that the, the truth that we need most, namely redemption, purpose, and hope, and all of this is found in Jesus Christ. We close this morning with this invitation to come and to join us in this walk and newness of life. If, you'll, if you've been here for very long, you know that... Um, we don't have any boasting to do. <laughs> We're works in progress. So if you've got problems, you're among good company. But that's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? That he came to redeem us from our sins. 
and that we would walk in newness of life. Maybe this morning would be a, I don't know how the word has plowed into your life today. I, I pray that it has, but that this would be a morning, this morning would be a, a time of commitment to him, a yielding to him. Would you bow with me in prayer as our music team comes and we close out the service in a song. It really is a time to respond in faith. And that should occur every time the word of God is opened. It's calling us to obey. Maybe this morning you're a believer and you know that you need to be baptized. Maybe this morning in the course of this worship service, you have just become aware of your need for salvation. And in the preaching or the singing or whatever aspect of this service, you've called out to the Lord to save you and you need to be baptized to, to respond to that. Maybe you are a believer and you're not united with the church home. You're kind of a free agent, I guess, in church life. That's not a good thing to be. Every believer needs a church family and that's not a loose commitment. It's a firm commitment. We call it a covenant commitment here. And maybe this morning you would need to move forward in aligning yourself officially here as a member of FBCG. We would love to talk with you about that. Our elders are here regularly, week in and week out, to pray with those in need, who have needs, whether the service is closed or not. So may we give our heart to the Lord now. Father, come and lead us for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.